Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You Podcast. This is a special Thank you for the news ticker, Alan. We appreciate it. We're coming to you today from the suburbs of Columbus, Ohio, birthplace of Phil Donahue. Wow. He's like the original uh, kind of controversial talk show host. Yeah. Kind of a podcast podcast host in his own right. Fair the, enough, the but it was on TV. Before yeah. we had podcasts yeah. and, and uh, all of those who are under. Yeah, he's like before Oprah, yeah. before Jerry Springer. Yeah. All the, yeah. He was the original kind of, let's incite a little, he would call it fun, I believe. Yeah. I'm Terry, Church Ministries Leader for the Alliance. And I'm Alan, Director of Development for the Eastern PA Alliance District. And Isaac is here as well. As always. Hiding on the other side of the room, helping us uh, immensely. We're grateful for him. Our guest today is Gary Friesen, who is the General Counsel for the General Legal Counsel for the Christian Missionary Alliance, Assistant Corporate Secretary, and a good friend. I would say, Alan, about Gary, he's gospel-centered, mm. level-headed, and legally insightful. Wow. That's a great uh, combination to have. So there's going to be a lot of good nuggets in here for churches as you try to swim in the cultural waters that surround us today. So grab yourself a pickle soda pop. What? There's no way. Really, there is. That'll make you pucker up. Uh, oh, 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 is it? But is it sweet pickles or is it dill pickles? I do not know the answer. Well, that to makes that a question. big difference. There'll have to be a surprise. Oh my! Uh, not for me. Sit back, relax. Here we go. And we're pleased to welcome our good friend, Gary Friesen, to Equipping You Podcast. Gary, thanks for joining us today, man. Well, you're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, introduce us to Gary. Tell us about your life and spiritual journey in a nutshell. In a nutshell, I grew up in the Christian Missionary Alliance. My grandfather left the Mennonite faith as a young man to join the Christian Missionary Alliance movement, help build the church that I grew up in as a young person in a small town called Dallas, Oregon, just 10 miles west of the capital of Oregon, Salem. Huh. Spent my growing up years uh, going to church every Sunday. In fact, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday night. <laughs> sounds a lot like my yeah, childhood. Yeah, sounds very familiar to my childhood as well. <laughs> yep. So it was steeped in Christian tradition, yeah. uh, extended family all around me. My grandparents lived in the same town, several uncles and aunts, cousins. So uh, it was a kind of town where you couldn't do anything without everybody else in the town, including your parents knowing about it. <laughs> this didn't work very well for me because although I grew up in the church, I really didn't follow Christian values. Yeah. Uh, I understood it. I believed in God. But up until the time I was 18, I it was I was uh, very much a black sheep in my own family, <laughs> and I know my my parents, my grandparents, people were praying for me, and you know I'd get in trouble now and then because again it's a small town and you can't do anything without everybody yeah. knowing it. Yeah, getting from getting kicked off the football team to to who knows what else. 
for uh, nefarious activities. But <laughs> my, um, uh, but but my family was always praying for me, mm-hmm. and I always believed in God, and I always knew in my heart that someday I would turn to God. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to give up those pleasures of life that I considered higher pleasures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Little did I know. Yeah, a little. So when I was 18 years old, I went to a Christian concert from a gentleman named Keith Green. Oh, uh, wow. That'll shake you up. And, so um, you want to go back to Egypt? Exactly. Terry breaks into song all and, the time. And in that concert, I uh, didn't go back to Egypt. I actually followed God to the yeah. promised land. Yes, look, nice change. My, Thanks. My best friend and I went, and we both made a are really a, a eternal commitment to Christ. We remain best friends to this day, by the way, we're best men in each other's marriage wow. each other's weddings. And, and so that, um, that was really the turning point. And it took me a few years, believe me, to shed myself of many, <laughs> uh, what I would just call bad habits. I mean, there were just yeah. things that were kind of stuck in me, ways mm-hmm. of thinking, ways of acting and so forth, but God was faithful and yeah. uh, went to a Christian university um, became college chaplain my junior year. And so I was actively involved in running all the uh, weekly services and small groups and all those sorts of things and um, experienced Christian leadership for the first time. And again, still still working around some rough edges, but uh, met my wife who is uh, had the exact, she had all the godly upbringing that I never had. I mean, in mm. terms of the way she lived her life and her, yep. she, she doesn't remember coming to Christ. She always believed. Yeah. She always loved Jesus. And, yeah. you know, that has impacted me greatly, yeah. just being a part of having her be a part of my life. So that's kind of the, the Genesis story, I guess. There you go. Yeah. Well, you didn't uh, arrive to where you are today uh, to use a, probably a country colloquialism that our friend Terry would like to use. <laughs> You know, you can't, you'll never find a turtle on a fence post that got there by itself. So you didn't get to where you are today by yourself. Who's influenced you along the way, Gary? Uh, good question. You don't have to mention me, Gary. It's okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> thank you for releasing me from that, Terry. <laughs> I will prioritize some other people just yeah, to expand yeah. the yeah, pool. Yeah, that's really bit. nice of you to do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure I share a person who has had enormous influence on my life. He's the first person who came to my mind with many who will be listening to this podcast. And that's Don Bubna. Mm. Don Bubna was my childhood pastor at Salem Alliance Church. Uh, We went off and on to that church. I got to know him then. Uh, He became a close friend over the years. Um, I worked for many years at Peacemaker Ministries, and he was on the board, and he would come out and stay with us in our home in Billings, Montana, when he came to board meetings. And our children became like grandkids to him, and and he just... um, became a real mentor up to the very latter days of his life when he would continue to travel internationally to speak at various conferences for the Alliance. And Mm -hmm. he would uh, take me along because he didn't want to travel by himself. He didn't feel like he was physically able. So I would just kind of go and sometimes I'd speak, sometimes I wouldn't, sometimes I'd just be talking to him late at night in Mm. the hotel room. Yeah. Mm. So we spent a lot of time together and I learned things like how to love people well Mm. Um, how to teach. John was a, or I'm sorry, John. Um, Don, Don was a consummate teacher. He, I mean, that was his whole thing, you know, is how to teach well, how, mm-hmm. to, how to engage people. And that that was life-changing for me. But mostly, I think it was his love for the church. Mm. 
he, it was never about Don. It was always about the person he was with, the church he was serving, the, the Jesus that he loved. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it was, you know, for this rough around the edges guy from Dallas, Oregon, this was a, this was a big deal. Mm-hmm. So the fact that, and again, I know I share that relationship with a lot of people Don, yeah. Don you know, had many, yeah. many yeah. disciples, so yeah. to speak, yeah. I, yeah. maybe the wrong word, but, but that was, that was a key one. Uh, another one I would mention is uh, one that I won't mention his name because there's some good and a bad side to it, but somebody that I worked for for a while who had uh, a profound influence on my theological understanding. Uh, it was the first thing I've been a Christian for a long time. Like most people had read through my Bible many times, heard, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of sermons in my life, but this person gave me kind of a systematic understanding of scripture that everything ties together, that when it's talking about this in the New Testament, it's actually a reference to that in the Old Testament and kind of the big view. And, um, and it was, uh, you know, awoke my love for scripture really. And, and an, a deeper understanding of the gospel than I had before. And this, it was profound, but this man, uh, went through a period of his ministry where uh, he did not keep his commitments to the Lord mm. in many relational ways. Wow. And it was really difficult, including yeah. with me. We fell into conflict mm. and disagreement about uh, some profound areas. And, um, and and the reason why that's so influential is it it was the first time something like that had happened in my life with another leader. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, 40 some years old. And I had to work through that. What does, what does forgiveness look like? Mm-hmm. What, does, what does repentance look like in terms of, I had my own stuff. I, was, I had done wrong. I brought to the table, but I didn't want to admit I was wrong because then that might take the light off the fact that really he was more wrong than I was. <laughs> <laughs> so there's all these dynamics to work through. And we, we went to the same church and we had many of the same friends, so we couldn't escape each other. And, and God, um, God kept me in that vortex for really a, two or three years. Mm, mm. And it was like a, it was a, it was a growth opportunity that I couldn't have bought actually mm-hmm. led to uh, a passion for me to learn more about issues of that nature, how, how leaders, why leaders in some cases uh, fall away from God and why they don't, yeah. what factors lead to that ended up doing my doctoral dissertation on that topic kind of came out of this whole thing. Yeah. So those are the two people yeah. who immediately come sure. to mind. So, Gary, I've heard you say that the church in the U.S. no longer has home field advantage. (laughs) Explain what you mean by that, if you would. Well, what I mean by that is that there was a time a few generations ago. um, In fact, it went on for many, many generations before that, where the church was in favor in the United States. Hmm. Uh, The most popular person, poll after poll, year after year, was Billy Graham. Yeah. yeah. The world's values generally aligned with the church's values. You know, when we talk about issues of sexuality, of marriage, of um, truth, of just even just a general understanding of, of how life was created, mm-hmm. um, you know, existence of a God, God was good. You know, these, it's shared. Now, they may not have followed it uh, at all, but generally people believed it. 
and, and, and generally, by the way, since most people were raised in a culture where the, there was a general sense of Christendom, people had a general literacy of the Bible. So mm-hmm. we kind of spoke the same language. So it's a lot like when I played college, <laughs> high school football, and uh, we always wanted to play on our home field. Mm-hmm. Um, because sure. we had all the fans with us, mm-hmm. you know, everybody was in our favor. I could make a mistake. I could fail to make that interception, fail that tackle, whatever was happening out there. And they weren't going to boo me. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I did something really good, they were going to cheer me. Yeah. You know, you run out onto the field and they're all standing up yeah. and cheering mm-hmm. and in my small town. Friday night football was the event. Yes. There were no other events. It, it probably was greater than church on Sunday morning. <laughs> And uh, so that's the kind of home field advantage the church had. We we had, even if they didn't go to church, they respected the church, mm-hmm. and yeah. and that's no longer the case. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So in light of that, what are the some of the trends in culture that you see being as especially challenging to the church? Uh, very good question. Well. You know, sort of the the big picture of that is that illustrated by the fact that we no longer have a home field advantage. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're foreigners in a strange land Mm -hmm. where, you know, many would call the United States culture post-Christian. Certainly whatever Christian dumb we had Mm -hmm. is long gone, Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's uh, areas of the law, politics, uh, culture as a whole, media. Yeah. You know, it, it is it is well beyond trying to promote any kind of Christian truth. And so this presents a great challenge to the church because, um, and by the way, let me also throw in that in 2020, for the very first time in Gallup polling history, which had gone on for since the 30s, the majority of people in the United States weren't attending church. Yeah, And so that, again, tells you a great deal right there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, biblical literacy is um, close to non-existent in many of our young people. Yeah. We even find that to be true in many of our churches. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just the general challenges of having this large gap between what this what the world values and what we value in the church, which is largely unchanged. We haven't changed. Yeah, it's the world that has drifted further and further away from what we which have call shared values mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that has created this thing. And, and so that um, manifests itself in several ways. One is uh, a growing individual autonomy. Uh, the value of, of what I believe and what I think is the most important thing that, that defines who I am. It's even been um, locked into Supreme court cases in the Obergefell case, which was the decision in 2015 that found, uh, despite nobody else being able to find it, the Supreme Court found that in this in the Constitution, a right to same-sex marriage. And they built that on the idea of individual autonomy, that one of the most uh, core rights we have in the United States is the ability to define your own existence, to define who, who you should marry. We, we shouldn't be telling people who they can marry and not marry. That, that is a solely individual decision based on your own convictions. And so that idea of individual autonomy is problematic on many levels. It's problematic on in the area of sexuality, as we just mentioned. I mean, it, think of transgenderism, where somebody can uh, decide on their own whether they're actually a man or a woman. 
And, um, you know, th- this would have been unheard of in our parents' day, mm-hmm. right? If, yep. my, if I went up to my grandfather and said, you know, Joe out here, that friend of yours, he is now a woman. Yeah. Yeah. My grandfather would have looked at me like I was insane. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Once you stop laughing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. This this doesn't this makes no sense yeah. on any level in any context. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? Yeah. No. And uh, but nowadays it's it not only has to make sense in our culture, but if you don't believe it, you're thrown out. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. you're you're not uh, you're not logical, yeah. you're not you're not caring, you're not loving, yeah. whatever the case may be. So yeah. This idea of individual autonomy has always been around. It's kind of our sin nature, right? But um, but it's it's kind of taken on a whole level, and I think it just threads through our churches. I'm sure those of you who are pastors understand this. You see it in mm-hmm. your own congregation, you yeah. know. So that's one thing. Another thing I would say is is a great challenge to our churches is uh, the lack of civility, mm-hmm. the lack of that's ability, which kind of comes from a a growth, what I would call tribalism, um, which is all fed by social media and all that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can you can find on social media, you can find support for any inkling you have. Mm. <laughs> In fact, a whole huge tribe of support, and uh, we see that coming into our churches so strongly. And I think that was especially magnified in this recent pandemic world, where. You know, churches were trying to wrestle with: uh, Do we require masks? Do we won't, don't require masks? How do we? Who do we? Uh, do we comply with the state mandates to hold churches and with a certain number and in a certain way? Um, and people took sides, and they often weren't kind. And they, it, it, it just the the values of their tribe became greater than the values of unity and what are we about and how are we going to be a witness to our community in the midst of this and all of the Christian values that we hold dear seem to be quickly pushed to the side. And and that wasn't true in every church and in every situation, but um, in so many circumstances, that was the case. So this whole idea of, of tribalism. And the other one, which is, we kind of touched on is just the um, growth in influence of the LGBTQ mm-hmm. world. Um, it has become the identifier of who you are for so long. In fact, for all the history of mankind, sociologists would say uh, sex was something that you did. It wasn't something that you are mm-hmm. <laughs> now. It's taken as the definition of who you are. So much so that those of us who are not homosexual or on the LGBT spectrum, for whatever that means, we actually have our own identification. We're cisgender. You know, we we are identified by our sexual choices, Mm -hmm. and that that, that's never happened. Yeah. And and now that is the definer. Mm -hmm. You know, you go on Facebook, you can put that in there. You go, you know, wherever you are, you can. You see it in people's signature lines, uh, in so many circumstances. Um, I, as general counsel for the Christian Missionary Alliance, I uh, engage lots of people in other, perhaps more liberal denominations. And it's interesting to me how many of the general counsels, when they write me, they will include on their signature line their preferred pronouns. Mm. Wow. 
on their signature line. On their wow. signature line. This is these these are general full time in house general counsel for the church, and you know it's important for them to make sure that people they they're identified by their sexual preference or at least their gender preference, mm. as expressed in their pronouns. So we don't know how to handle that in the church. Yeah to say the least. And, and one of my hopes is that we in the Alliance can be a, can be, can, can really set a standard for the church overall, big C in terms of how we respond to the LGBTQ yeah. world. Yeah. What does love look like? What does the gospel look like? Um, we, we need, and there's a whole lot wrapped up in that, but yeah. that's. Yeah. Well, uh, right along those lines, Gary, uh, you know, when we're thinking of issues of sexuality, marriage, gender identity, we want to love all kinds of people. We want to reach all kinds of people, yet we don't want to compromise our biblical standards. So where do we draw this line? Hmm. How about it? <laughs> <laughs> Well, the short answer, I'll quote uh, Tim Keller from Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City in his book, City uh, Center Church, I think it's uh, called. Two episodes this season mentioning that. That's right. Well, it's, it's a, I think, a worthy book to mention. Mm -hmm. But in there, he talks about the difference between con contextualization and the gospel. Mm -hmm. And we absolutely compromise on contextualization. Contextual, you know, we, we understand our world, we understand who we're talking to, and we shape things around that. And, um, but we are absolutely uncompromising about the gospel, but there's an important part to that. And that is that we need to understand what the gospel is. And there is a bleeding back and forth between, because I think in, in part, because of a lack of biblical literacy and the fact that this all caught everybody by surprise, we're not really uh, large parts of the church. Many people in the church are not really clear what scripture says about human sexuality mm -hmm. and gender and things of that nature. You know, this is, this is something we all took for granted for so long. So it's very easy to respond emotively or, you know, people start throwing around the word love. Well, don't you just, you know, why can't we just love those people? Yeah. If we love them enough, they'll come to Christ. Well, we should love them enough. That's all mm -hmm. true. But what does love mean? In this context, that's what I mean by the uncompromising gospel. Yeah. We need to understand what that is. That's the part that we don't we don't waver on, right? So those those distinctions are really really important, I think, and that's what that's what saves us. Yeah. Hmm. Whew. Wow. How concerned, really? How concerned should the church be about maintaining religious liberty? And are you seeing major threats to this? Well, in the United States, we have the strongest religious liberty we've ever had in the history of our nation. We have very strong religious liberty yeah. going back 230 years to the First Amendment with the Establishment Clause and the Freedom of Religion Clause and the Freedom of Assembly. All of these kind of bundle of rights make up religious liberty in our nation. And they have consistently from the very beginning up until today have been strongly uh, enforced by our courts. So we don't have to worry in a sense mm -hmm. about the legalities of religious liberty, we, particularly within the four square walls of a church. Mm -hmm. um, 
we can preach what we want. We can hold to any standard we want. Uh, the number one question I usually get from churches nowadays in this religious liberty area is, do we have to allow a transgender person to use the bathroom of their choice when they attend our church? Mm. And the answer is always really simple. No, we have, you, you can follow your deeply held religious beliefs and how you make that decision. Um, no one can tell you within the, within a church how you can do that or what you should do. So the religious liberty aspects are quite strong. Where it gets um, complicated is when you step outside the church and you start to engage the community. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. There have always been restrictions, obviously. Um, for example, you can't um, – you've never been able to put a worship band in the middle of a town square and set up speakers in every corner and turn it up full volume and, <laughs> you know, do something like that. Cause you're interfering with that. You're overly interfering with other people's right to exist. Right. Yeah. You can't do things like that. And I could give you example after example, but generally speaking in the United States, we're, we're in good shape when it comes to religious liberty. I don't think that's the big issue to be honest. Uh, for example, can I go back to that example of the, can I, do we have to allow a transgender person mm-hmm. to use a bathroom mm-hmm. of their choice? Sure. Uh, the legal answer is no, you can make that decision, but that's only the very beginning of the discussion. The next discussion is, okay, so how do you decide, how do you make that decision? Yeah. Because you can make that decision, but do you just make it because transgenderism is wrong? So here I've got a, uh, there, there's a, People smarter than me have come up with a three-part framework that I think is really important. I think I can briefly give it to you. The first is that we need to know our Christian our Christian ethics on the issue. We need to know what the moral standard is. These are things like the Ten Commandments, you know, or what what does Jesus say we can and cannot do, or should or should not do. And of course, the answer there is pretty clear for us, right? I mean, this person is either male or female. And so the the Christian ethics questions are not too hard. But the second part of the framework is um, gospel care. I'm sorry. Yeah, gospel witness or gospel care. Pastoral care. What does it mean to pastor this person? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But not only this person, but what does it mean to pastor the people in your church who are being impacted by your decision? You know, this pastoring goes both ways. So you have to go through that evaluation. And frankly, in that evaluation, there are some of our churches who have said yes, and some of our churches who have said no, because it's not, you've got to look at the whole picture. There are some parts of our, some churches in the United States, for example, in very progressive areas where that would not be a shock to people in the congregation. And they would just, for the sake of the gospel, they would say, well, let the person use the bathroom of their choice. We're not going to worry about it. It could be a bathroom design issue and things like that. And there's all kinds of factors that go into that. But so there, there are those two issues, the issue of um, Christian ethics and pastoral care. But the third one is, is public policy. Uh, what, what kind of laws impact this decision at all? And there are some. And there, there's kind of the public expectation aspect of that. What's this person bringing in with them when they come in here? What are their expectations? How are you impacting all of that? So it's, it's those three areas that need to be carefully thought through in making this decision. So when, when a pastor calls me and we have this discussion, the legal part of the conversation lasts about two minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, You can make whatever decision you want, but then the wisdom issue 
that takes some time yeah. because we walk through that kind of scenario. Yeah. And it's different for every church. It's different for every congregation, mm. as it, of course it would be. Yeah. So, mm. so uh, Gary, churches are sometimes concerned about being sued over hiring practices or membership standards or facility usage. Who sleeps in what room on the retreat? Oh, my. Who uses yeah. what restroom? How aggressive or hesitant have the courts been to meddle in such things? And what can churches do or what should churches do to protect themselves? Well, there's a doctrine, legal doctrine, called the church autonomy doctrine. Uh, this doctrine um, has been ex in existence in some form or another since probably the beginning of our country. And the basic notion is that churches, or I'm sorry, that the government will not interfere with the inner workings of a church, particularly as it pertains to what they believe, because that, that is the sovereign place of the church. The church determines what it believes. It's part of our, um, the non-establishment clause, right? Because they can't come in and tell you what you have to believe. Of course, when, the, when our uh, constitution was created, we came from the country of England and England had the church of England. Yeah. If you were nothing else, you were in, you were a part of the church of England. When you were born in England, you were baptized in the church. You were, you know, and it, it was a big deal if you joined the Quakers or joined the Baptists or some other group that was not the church of England. And so, um, uh, the whole notion of, um, not interfering with the internal workings of, of the church, the internal beliefs, the internal practices was very, very important to our founding fathers. And that was encapsulated in the constitution. So church autonomy doctrine. So because of that, and the way it's been interpreted over the years, um, it, the courts have been extremely reluctant to interfere with internal decisions, including who you hire and fire, uh, generally, anti-discrimination laws, for example, about employment, uh, don't even don't apply to the church or any kind of a religious organization setting. Um, so, th there's the the short answer is they don't have to worry about it much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that's not the biggest concern. The, the one about church facility use is a more interesting question. Mm -hmm. That's the one area where churches can get into trouble. Yeah, because. Um, if you allow a group, if you allow any group to use a facility, let's say you had a, um, a fellowship hall that had a wonderful kitchen and you know facilities where people could do wedding receptions or parties or whatever, and you just opened it up to the public and, and it was very busy every weekend and the church wasn't being held, it was being used, it became a big moneymaker for your church. Mm. Well, that, that's good for the church in a way. But it's really bad if you ever wanted to say no to somebody, because mm -hmm. once you open something up to the public in general, you actually are not legally allowed to say no to anybody, <laughs> and you have to let anybody use it. Mm -hmm. um, one great example of this is a lot of ch our churches have beautiful old facilities that people want to use for their weddings. Mm -hmm. And so when a church... Um, offers on the open market the use of their sanctuary for a wedding and um, have no restrictions, they cannot legally, most likely, be able to keep a same-sex wedding from taking place within their facility. So 
my counsel to all of our churches has been, don't do that. Yeah, You can hold, have some even limited requirements. One yeah. person who's part of the wedding party needs to be a member of your church, or they need to be directly related to a family that's a part of your church or something like that. You know, you right. have some restrictions that you can, you can tie to or require that they be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you yeah. know, some requirement like that. And, and, and also are willing to uh, agree with our statement on human sexuality or, or you know, have some restrictions right. that would make sense to, to differentiate that this is just kind of the open thing uh, for anybody in the community who wanted to use it. So that that's uh and as many other, many other examples I could give, but that facility use question is, is a critical one. And th this is part of the reason we have what is the uh, faith and community policy, Christian community policy. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, can you give us a, just a little capsule of what that is? Cause I don't, probably a lot of churches aren't doing it. Yeah. Well, my hope is that every church in the Christian Missionary Alliance would yeah. adopt the Christian, the Christian community policy. What the Christian community policy says is that everything we do and everything we have in the church is purposed to fill our mission. Mm -hmm. um, we are a church and we do things that further the kingdom of God only. And that includes how we use our facility. That includes who we hire. That includes any activities we're engaged in right. at all. And we say that we will only allow, we will only hire people, we will only allow use of our facility, and we will only do activities that further our mission as a church. And we will make decisions about who, use our, who uses our facility and who, what activities we do and who we hire based on our deeply held religious beliefs and statement of faith and all yeah. those statements in the manual of Christian Missionary Alliance. And, uh, and it, it gives a very simple process to make those decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, the, you know, you do it in writing and all those yep. kinds of things. Yep. So, and it's very carefully drafted to choose language from Supreme Court decisions so that we're mirroring what the courts has said. So we are in the strongest possible position should we ever get challenged. So that particular document is the very best thing every church can do. They can adopt it. It's not very complicated. And they can follow it, which is certainly not complicated. And um, and that that is in today's culture. How do I put this? It is um, almost committing a crime for a church not to do it. I don't know how to say it yeah. strongly enough. Yeah, because it, it creates so much safety yeah. for us. And yeah. don't we all believe that? We yeah. all believe that everything we should be yeah. doing yeah. is on mission. Let's yeah. just yeah. make it explicit. Yeah. So can you give us one last nugget of wisdom or sage advice for doing ministry in our present cultural context? Mm. Preach the whole gospel of God. Mm. Yeah. Don't choose. Mm. Yeah. Preach it all. Mm -hmm. it, you're, you're in the safest possible position when you say somebody challenges, you say, no, this is what scripture says. Our constitution supports it. Mm -hmm. Our laws support it. Most importantly, I think that honors God and glorifies him the most. And I think people respond to that, even the hard stuff related to closely related to that is I'm a big fan of creating biblical literacy in our churches. And so one idea I have is, wouldn't it be interesting if, if a church said, you know, I want to, I want to create a preaching cycle where if somebody were to attend two thirds of our 
worship services in a given year, they're going to hear every key truth about every, every key scriptural truth, every scriptural theme, whether it's about sexuality, devotion, discipleship, and that we're making a very deliberate effort to tie those themes um, back to each other, you know, connecting the dots, so to speak. Um, the reason why I say that rather than some legal thing is because we don't have a lot of control over the legal stuff. And generally, as I've said, the legal stuff is in our favor. But what we do have control of is how we preach the gospel. And and God will protect us. And God will honor that. Mm-hmm. We all know that. Yeah. So. so, Gary, you've got a um, cultural and legal update conference coming up. September 22nd and 23rd in Columbus. Registration fee up until July 31st, $119. Anything you'd like to say about that conference? I encourage you to come. Uh, The number one challenge we have in the church right now, I think, is the whole LGBTQ movement, and particularly in the area of transgenderism. And you may be saying, well, why is that? Why would you choose that topic? Well, we'll unpack it at this conference, Mm -hmm. but it is... Uh, to, to give you a little bit of a nugget, unlike any other challenge the truth has or the church has, this is the one area in which the very essence of what is true is being challenged. Yeah. And it's undermining so much of what we are doing in the United States and so much what the church is about. So to be able to understand it and know how to respond to it, we're bringing in uh, the F- Mark Yarhouse, the foremost speaker on this topic, yeah. professor at uh, Wheaton College, written many books, including Gender Dysphoria um, and others. And so I encourage you to come and uh, we will equip you. Very good. Thank you, Gary, for being with us. We really Absolutely. appreciate it. Insightful, helpful. Yep. yep. And uh, we just appreciate your time. Thank you. As always, Gary was insightful and helpful for us. Alan, what... Uh, What'd you, what'd you catch out of this uh, particular episode? Well, your prediction in the intro was right. Not only insightful and helpful, but level-headed. I appreciate he's not alarmist. He's realistic, but he's not alarmist. And he has practical advice for how we can be the church without living in fear. To be wise, but not uncivil. So I'm thankful that he's our general counsel and uh, thankful for what he contributes he has a necessary position in today's world. Yes, he does. So um, great episode. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. We appreciate you listening. And we're coming back to you next time with another special episode. We will have Kathy Sigmund with us, who will talk about rain. Sounds like she's a meteorologist. It would sound like that, but she's not. She's not. So you have to come back next time to find out what rain is all about. Meanwhile, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.